Would you pray with me as we begin? Heavenly Father, we open our hearts, we open our minds, we open our spirits to receive you anew. We're here to receive your word, and we're here to honor your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, reveal in each of us who you are, why you came, what you've done, what it all means. We ask that you would lead us through this week and, and in this time this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. At the beginning of the week before the crucifixion, Jesus sat on a donkey and rode down into Jerusalem. We call that Palm Sunday because of the palm branches that people were waving and some of them were cutting off palm branches and laying them down as a kind of a green carpet for Jesus to ride over as he rode down into Jerusalem. We call it Palm Sunday, but around the world, Christians also call it the triumphal entry. Now, it's called a, a triumph because it copies the Roman style of parade that was held for generals after they had great victories. The triumphant entry is important, and you can tell that because it's in all four Gospels. Now, we're going to look at it this morning from the Gospel according to John in chapter 12, but uh, I want to think about the context of that just for a moment before we read that. Jesus was visiting Bethany. Now, you know what happened at Bethany, right? Bethany was the home of Mary and Martha. It was the home of Lazarus. Lazarus had died, and Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. And as Jesus is coming to Jerusalem, he stops for a couple of days and stays there with Lazarus. And they have a dinner in his honor, and probably because of the raising of Lazarus, right? And so they're having this special dinner, and as they're there at the house, as he and the disciples are there outside the house and in the streets and along that edge of the road, you know, where it goes down towards Jerusalem, all these people began to gather. See, they had heard about Lazarus. They had heard about him being raised from the dead, and they'd heard, obviously, that Jesus was there at Lazarus' house, and so they started to gather together. The word was out. Well, John tells us that seeing this, the chief priests made plans not only to kill Jesus, but also to kill Lazarus, because Lazarus was this witness to the power of the Son of God. And, uh, and they were worried because it says so many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing him. So starting in, in verse 12 of chapter 12, we read, The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches, and they went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the King of Israel! And Jesus found a donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. Now, at first, his disciples did not understand all this. After Jesus was glorified, or only after Jesus was glorified, did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. And so the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. 
Look how the whole world has gone after him. The Roman triumph was a huge honor that was given to a general who had done a great service to the Roman Empire, either by winning a great battle or great victory, or doing some other kind of huge service to the state. Uh, think about the, the ticker tape parades that they used to hold more frequently in New York City. They have that part in the financial district, they call it the Canyon of Heroes, and and they would rain down tons, literally tons of shredded paper and confetti from windows in the buildings in the streets. And it kind of looked like a paper snowstorm. And people would line the streets and they would shout and they would, you know, wave their hands and they would give a claim to whoever was being honored. And often that was people like astronauts or great heroes. A triumph or a triumphal parade is a lot like that. Um, on the day of the triumph, the general wore a crown. Let me get back to wherever that disappeared to. New clicker this morning, but it works. <laughs> On the day of the triumph, the general wore a crown of, of laurel, and he wore a purple toga, and, and that identified him as a king. Back, back I say. <laughs> Maybe we have to pray over the thing this morning. <laughs> Jesus was, uh, or this man, was considered the king for a day. In fact, um, on that day, there was no other human in Rome who was any higher than he was. Even the senators took second place to this person who was being honored in this parade. And they sometimes would paint his face red. See, if you ever see a picture of a statue of the, the uh, statue of Mars, or, or Jupiter rather, Jupiter who was the highest, highest god that they worshipped, his face was often red, and so they would paint the face of this person in the parade red to identify him with the god. It was like they were saying that he was a demigod, he was sort of a god, he was next only to this highest god that they worshipped. And he'd ride in the streets, he'd, he'd drive a, a four-horse chariot, and he'd have his captives paraded ahead of him. He'd have the spoils of war, you know, no matter what they, you know, whether it was we weapons or gold or whatever it was that they took during the war. And, and then behind him would follow all his soldiers. He'd start near the temple of Apollo, uh, who is, was considered the son of Zeus, Think of that connection, the son of God, right? The son of Zeus. Zeus was the highest god that they worshipped. And they would start there at that temple, and they would gather there in the fields of Mars around that temple, and they would go along this processional way, and they'd go all the way up to the, uh, the temple of, of uh, Jupiter. Now, the distance, it's only about two and a half miles. But sometimes and they'd go very slow, sometimes these parades lasted two or three days. <laughs> Can you imagine taking two or three days to go two and a half miles? But they'd stop along the way and they'd party. <laughs> and then they'd go a little further and they'd stop and they'd party. And the person, the general, whoever it was, he was paying for the party. It often came out of the spoils that he won. And so it could take a long time for this procession to happen. Now, one of the interesting things was his soldiers, as they followed him, and they would be wearing togas, and they'd be wearing laurel crowns themselves, they were shouting, I'll triumph! I'll triumph! 
It's a loud acclamation that means hail triumphal procession. And then they would also shout praises for the general who had the victory. Legend says that, you know, this was so heady, such heady stuff that legend says that they had often a public slave who would ride along in the chariot with him and, and periodically would lean over and whisper, you are not a god, you are not a king. <laughs> Can you imagine? Over and over, just to make sure his head didn't get too big. And when he'd get to the, to the temple, he would offer sacrifices and dedicate it to the Senate and to the gods. As far as I can tell, and, and I did a lot of reading on this, I could not find a single occasion where a triumphal entry had ever occurred in Jerusalem. In fact, I read that most Romans had never seen one, but they all knew about it because they were things of legend and they would have known all of the details, even the people who lived in Jerusalem. Well, Palm Sunday, what happened? This is Palm Sunday. What's going on on this day? Why are we having a parade down the mountain to Jerusalem that looks so much like a Roman triumph? I mean, why did Jesus do this? You know, aside from maybe provoking the Pharisees, you know, I could see that being kind of, you know, one of these to the Pharisees along the way. Uh, but he'd also be provoking the Romans. You know, the Romans would know what he was doing. They would see instantly, within a few moments, they would have recognized, uh-oh, <laughs> this is following the pattern of the triumph. And they knew that meant kingship. They knew what that meant. There were a couple of things that it revealed about Jesus as he went along. Uh, one of the first things, one of the most important things, is it revealed him as Messiah and as king. You know, these people, we've talked about this many times, the people were waiting hundreds of years for the Messiah to come. Hundreds of years. The prophets had promised a liberator, somebody like David, somebody from the line of David, a king. And, and these people would know the prophecy, sometimes maybe from the time they were little, from the time they were children. And they'd been waiting so long now. And then all of a sudden, somebody shows up on the scene who can perform miracles. Somebody who preaches with great authority like they really haven't heard before. And here's a man who can even raise the dead. This must be Messiah. And then to top it off, on this day, Jesus sits on a donkey and heads for Jerusalem just like the prophecy said. Now, the prophecy comes from Zechariah. It's from Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. And it says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Can you see what all the fuss is about? I mean, this is really clear. <laughs> this is not an ambiguous prophecy. This is not your local horoscope that's you know, done in such vague terms that it could apply to anybody. This is something very, very specific, and the people recognized it instantly. 
and, and the, the prophecy tells them to rejoice and to shout and to celebrate. And here they are rejoicing and shouting and celebrating because right in front of them, this ancient prophecy was being revealed. Right in front of their eyes. Something that they'd waited all this time for. That crowd that had gathered outside of Lazarus' house in Bethany, they would have they would have merged into the stream of traffic going to Jerusalem. See, it was the Passover festival, one of the biggest festivals of the year. And, and the people would be coming along. They might be singing songs of ascent as they go up to the temple. You know, and, and they would be singing as they walked in the road. And, and the word would be spreading. You know, it says that those people who saw Lazarus raised, they didn't stop talking about it, right? So the word was spreading, and it was going ahead of him into Jerusalem. And then the word came that he was going down the mount, he was going into Jerusalem, and all these people began to gather. So these, these people who were coming from Bethany and the people who were going to Jerusalem for the festival, it would have merged into this one really big crowd. And they started cutting down palm branches and laying them in the roads and they threw their cloaks on the road just like in a roman triumph that's how they would greet that victorious general some people in those triumphs they would tie little bundles of of incense we sang about that incense the incense representing the prayers of god's people and the praises of god's people it says in revelation rising up to the throne room of god right and they throw these packets down, and as the chariots rode over them and the horses rode over them, there would be these big plumes of incense would, would puff up, and there'd be all this incense in the air. It probably happened during this processional. And like the Roman soldiers in a triumphal procession, they were, you know, the soldiers who shouted, Hail to the triumph! and then shouted praises for the general. These people shouted, Hosanna to the God of Israel and to Jesus. Now, Hosanna is a form of expression that's used to, it became used, it, it, it developed along the way, it became used for, for adoration and for joy, but it literally meant, please save us. That was the original meaning of it. And that tells us something about what they were hoping for in this Messiah. Please save us. The form of the parade kind of tells us something about their expectations. I think they were hoping that this was payback time. I think that they were hoping that this is liberation time. And Jesus... The Messiah rode right up to the temple, just like the, the general in the procession used to ride right up to the temple, you know, and that was a, this recognition of this closeness to the God. Well, this is not only a king for a day, this is the real king. And this isn't some temple to some pagan God, this is the temple to God Almighty. God on high, the real God. It was hammer time, you know? <laughs> Jesus was going to kick some Roman armor. They were ready. The enemy was already defeated. The victory was right here, 
right now. Man, that's a celebration. That's something to celebrate. The prophecy in Zechariah, the one that predicts him right here, victoriously riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, has another part to it. It doesn't just proclaim Jesus and, and this him as king and how he's going to come into Jerusalem. It really proclaims that the Messiah was going to be a God of peace, a king of peace. This triumph is different from the Roman one. Theirs represented the spoils of war. This Roman, or this triumph rather, symbolizes peace. How do we know that? The donkey. The donkey is the clue. It's the big clue. When ancient generals rode into a city, they would declare their purposes by how they came into that city. So if they came into the city to proclaim war, they rode on a horse, usually a white charger. And when they rode into a city in peace, it was on a donkey. And so the people knew his intentions as he came in. In fact, often these generals would send several donkeys ahead of them loaded down with gifts so that people would know for sure this man was coming in peace. Here's the second part of that Zechariah prophecy that talks about that. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken and he will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river, meaning the Jordan, from the river to the ends of the earth. Who's he in the prophecy? It's the same person as in the first verse, right? The same, this is the context, is it's the same person as the first verse, the same king as the first part, the one who comes in righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey. Jesus, the king, is the king of peace. So you remember these palms we were waving at the beginning of the service when we had our little palm parade, when we celebrate this occasion? What was that all about? Why are we waving them about? And why were the people here waving palms? You know, I, I think in our context, we might assume that they represent peace or something like that. But if you look at the, the coinage of the Jewish nation, when they were at peace, they would make coins, they would mint coins that had palm branches across them. And there was a reason for that. That represented the Jewish nation, and it represented freedom. And so now let's put it back in its context of the ride down that hill, and they're waving their palms like crazy. And it's, what are they thinking? They're thinking that we're about to gain our freedom. They're thinking the Jewish nation is about to, to come into its own. It's going to be completely reunited with the king on the throne again, and they're thinking that as it's happening They hoped to have freedom from Rome. But what Jesus was offering was a hope of a completely different kind. It was a different kind of freedom. We know that it was freedom from sin and from death. 
It's what that triumphal entry was all about, really. It was a preview. It was a preview of what was going to happen at the end of that week. It was a promise of something that was coming. It was the promise of victory. And only days from now, only days from this Palm event, Jesus was about to die. Not because he was an enemy of Rome. Not because he was a thief or a common criminal. He died for your sins and for mine. Palm Sunday is a promise of victory. And on this side of the cross, we understand that that the triumph meant that victory was coming. It had arrived. Jesus offers us victory now. Here and now. If we believe that he died on the cross for our sins and repent and turn from our sin and turn to following Jesus, if we receive him as Lord and Savior, then we can have that sin forgiven. We'll appropriate that victory that Jesus won, the one we celebrate in advance in the parade. Just as Jesus rose from the dead, we'll have eternal life with him. Isn't that the truth? In a few moments, we're going to do the Lord's Supper and, and share together in communion. And we're going to prepare our hearts here in, in a few moments of silent prayer as we get ready for that. Today is a very good day to consider our place before God. Where are we at? Where are we at? I always like to use communion as a check-in time. You know, this is a time to, to say, okay, God, where am I at? Am I, are we okay? Are we in full relationship? Are there barriers between me and you? Are there things that I need to get out of the way? Because sometimes that happens. You know, I, I find myself sometimes, God, God kind of went by his Holy Spirit says, uh, excuse me, <laughs> you need to deal with this. <laughs> this is something I'm revealing in your life that I'm not showing you just for fun. I'm showing you to do something about that. And that I find that communion days are a good day to do that because of what it represents. It's a good time to let him rule our lives. Now, you can ask him to be your Lord and Savior simply by asking. Lord, forgive me of my sin. Be my Lord and Savior and come and rule my life. I turn from my sin. Please lead me through my life. Simple prayer. You can put it in your own words even. It doesn't have to follow a particular formula. And if you're following Jesus and you find that there are those spots that need to be renewed or those things that need to be dealt with, this is a great time to do that. You can renew your covenant just simply through a quiet act of surrendering yourself in prayer. And Jesus has the victory. Would you pray with me? Lord, today we gather together as brothers and sisters in Christ. We're here to remember the extraordinary sacrifice that you made in sending Jesus, your beloved Son, to us. And Lord, we come to you now to ask for forgiveness for any thoughts or words or actions that have not honored your name. Lord, we're truly sorry for the times that we've chosen to live selfishly instead of obeying your call. Please hear our silent prayers as we 
offer ourselves to you. Lord Jesus, inhabit our hearts now as we take communion. As we share this meal, come and bind us together as one family filled with your love. We thank you for your grace that is working right now in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.